Hey guys, it's Elaine, host of Raising Deaf Kids, where we get weekly encouragement, education, and feel empowered to raise our deaf kids as hearing parents together. So grab your coffee and let's get started. Hey guys, I just wanted to come on really quickly and tell you about a new coaching offer that I have available to any parents who are listening. And it is an IEP coaching. So I have a specific framework that I can walk you through to help make the IEP easier for you. I have been dealing with the IEP with my two kids for a few years now. I've had different experiences in two different schools. And I'm also a former educator. I was a K through 12 teacher, now turned stay turned stay at home mom and entrepreneur. But I still really have a heart for education and giving all children a fair and appropriate education. I understand that the IEP process can be difficult for parents, and I want to show you that it doesn't have to be, and it actually can be, get this, really streamlined and easy. Well, I would love to help you and coach you through that. At the link in the show notes, I have a Calendly week. If you want to hit that link and we'll get on a 15 minute clarity call so I can understand, you know, what your questions are about the IEP process. And then we can talk about ways that we can work together to help you through that. So don't forget to click that link in the show notes. And I can't wait to help you through the IEP process. Now let's get back to the show, everyone. I hope you're having a great day today. And I just wanted to hop on here ahead of our conversation today and introduce to you guys, Valley Gideons. She's on the podcast today. If you don't know her, she is the founder of My Battle Call. She's been very active on Instagram and Facebook. And she also wrote a book that we'll be linking in the show notes about her experience raising her to children who are now teenagers and almost college age and raising them with cochlear implants. We get into everything on this podcast. And I mean, we pack so much good stuff into this hour. Valley was so generous and she just has a really big heart to help other parents. And she just gave tons of information. We talk about you know, the beginning, you know, grief and acceptance of the diagnosis and what it's like to have little kids and a hearing loss diagnosis for the first time going through cochlear implant surgery. We also talk about getting your kids involved in activities. And she, she actually even coaches me a little bit on, you know, talking to sports coaches with your kids and, you know, why it's important to get your kids involved in activities and even sports if that's a thing that you want to do. I know a lot of parents have questions about, can my kid play football? Can my kid with cochlear implants or hearing aids, you know, play this or this sport? And the answer is yes. And we do talk about it on the episode, but just a spoiler alert, Valley's two children, one of them does play football and has gotten some scholarships to colleges. I mean, colleges are talking to him to play football at their schools. And as of the time of this podcast, he had not made a decision yet. He was still looking. And we talk about that in the podcast. So 
Yes, her son has played football for a very long time and her daughter plays basketball in high school. And Valley said that her daughter would like to play basketball in college as well. So to once and for all answer that question, yes, kids with cochlear implants and hearing aids can play football and can play any other sport. So without further ado, I would love to get into this podcast. Welcome to the Raising Deaf Kids podcast, Valley Gideons. All right. We have Valley Gideons on the podcast today for Raising Deaf Kids. Hi, Valley. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, it's so exciting. I think a lot of parents are excited about this. There's just not much in this space. There is not. So for parents of kids with hearing loss or like special needs as well. So I'm really excited to be able to provide that for parents. And thank you so much for coming on. I know parents are going to love hearing from you. Um, So just to start out in case for some reason, someone hasn't heard of you, although I can't imagine, (laughs) but if they haven't, can we just start with briefly like telling about your story with your kids and, you know, hearing loss Oh, goodness. This question always gets me because the briefly, my kids are now 17 and 18. My baby just turned 17. So they're junior, senior in high school. So when people ask me to tell the story, like kind of our introduction to hearing loss, now it's going back 18 years. You remember it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I wrote a book about it, so I'll never forget But it is amazing how time does start to create a little bit of amnesia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like a lifetime ago. Now my baby is six foot one, 225. Um, So yeah, well, he's not my baby. My baby's my daughter. But anywho, so just our introduction to hearing loss in a nutshell, if I can sum it up, Mm -hmm. was no family history, nothing in utero that would have prepared us. And when my son was born, he failed and I'm air quoting the um, infant screening. So we went back for the um, more extensive test, the ABR two weeks later. And we had been told it's probably just fluid, which has kind of become like a little bit of a tag hashtag on um, different social media platforms. It's not just fluid because this seems to be a common thread for many, many parents. So when we went in and had that test and then we're taken into the cold room, I always talk about, there's a whole chapter in my book about it, but so I won't go into all the details, but I know a lot of people relate to this room you're taken into and basically told in one breath that our child had a severe to profound hearing loss. And that's what kind of started us on this path of trying to get educated real quick. And then 21 months later, my daughter was also born with the same syndrome and we're, we're 100% with kids having hearing loss. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yes. Same. I mean, same story. I have three. So my little two-year-old she's two right now does have regular hearing, but my two boys were born first and they are seven and five. So we're still in the little, little stages in our house. They were same thing, both born with hearing loss. And yeah, and you know, I think you spoke perfectly to, you know, back when I can remember how impersonal it is to when the audiologist tells you, you know, like, you know, your kid has hearing loss. And for us, I mean, you know, 
you know, it's your first baby. There's no hearing loss in our family. And it ended up being after we had our second son, we found out that they have hearing loss due to a rare genetic syndrome, which has also caused some other challenges that no one in our family has ever had. You know, and this is like your first baby. So it's like your first time mom, first time parent, you're like doing these hearing screenings that you never were like prepared to have to do. And then, you know, I'm sitting in my room with, you know, the audiology room for the, you know, bigger test for like four hours or something or two hours, like trying to get to the baby to sleep so that they can like do the hearing test. I'm like falling asleep holding the baby because I have a two month old baby and I'm a new mom yeah. new to ever having kids. And then at the end of it, my husband are like both sleep deprived. We're both being in there and they're on top of all of that, they're like, oh yeah, your kid has hearing loss. And then they start giving you like all the, you know, that they can have cochlear implants. Do you know what cochlear, I had never heard of cochlear implants before I had children that needed them. So the, it was just, it's like the medical team is 10 steps ahead of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? We actually um, weren't given the it was hard from our audiologist Once she got the results, she then took us into the room where we call him Dr. Lab Code because I don't remember anything else about him except I'm assuming he was an ENT and he was the one that came into the room and said, like literally in one breath, just like you said, your son has severe to profound hearing loss. He'll probably get hearing aids, maybe be a candidate for cochlear implant, maybe go to mainstream high school. Any questions? Yeah. And we were like, what? I mean- I have a whole chapter in my book. It's called The Fog. And it sounds like it must be a chapter that almost every parent who's experienced this could like relate to. Absolutely. Like what? I'm holding my two-week-old. What parents of two-week-olds are thinking about high school? Like, yeah. yeah. But needless to say, we did leave that Mm -hmm. clinic and we found a team of people who were a lot more empathetic and supportive than that. It was so clear to this person that this was so something mm-hmm. that he did so regularly that he forgot or was numb to the fact that the people on the receiving end of this may be in shock, which is what we were because we were not expecting it. And I do know, because I have connections with lots of audiologists and people in the field now that they are working really hard on sensitivity training and better ways to present this information and, you know, not spinning it and trying to be just raw, raw, because that's not exactly what you want in that moment either, but to also be encouraging Mm -hmm. and understanding that this is going to be hard to digest. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 you know, it's a lot for any parent of a newborn being told anything yeah. out of the ordinary is a lot. So yeah, that's what I really love to speak to new parents and just, you know, I always, the first thing is just to take a deep breath. Like, you know, it's going to be okay, but yeah, for a while it's going to be you know, a lot to digest. You're going to feel a lot of feelings and that is okay. You're not supposed to leave that appointment. Rah, rah, let's go. Like that's too soon. You might need a minute. So. Yeah. Yeah. I got onto my, the phone that night with my mom and I was like sobbing to her. It's like, you can't hear what, I mean, 
yeah, you know, it's a lot. And that is something that I also love to talk to parents. And maybe we can talk a little bit about the fact that there is like an acceptance and a grieving process. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents, so I'd love to know what you have to say. I think a lot of parents are afraid to go through that grieving process because they're afraid that if they're upset that their kid had hearing loss, that that means that they're not being a good parent or that that means they're not like fully accepting their child, um, which I, of course, disagree with. (laughs) So, but since you have been through that process, I would love to know from your side, you know, was there a grieving process? Was there an acceptance process? What did that look like? You know, and what do you, what would you tell like a new parent who like just found this out? Yeah, I definitely, again, my book through the fog, I keep mentioning mm-hmm. it, but there's a whole chapter on that part too. Oh, fantastic. People should get it. Yeah. And basically what I want reason for sharing it was to say, I wish I had allowed myself to experience and share those feelings more. And it's kind of like an ode to people to like, don't do what I did and try to just carry it, share it. There's other people who feel exactly the same way or who can relate that to the grief and the grief is just for things not being how you expected them to be. And that this wouldn't be the parenting experience you expected it to be, or the your child is now going to have something that is not what you had expected or planned for and which you start to learn that's true in parenting in no matter what, it's never going to be what you thought it was going to be. But when something is out of the ordinary like this, you're grieving the the motherhood you thought you were going to have. And in the beginning with all the appointments and, you know, the baby getting hearing aids at three months old, some are even getting it younger than that now, I think. But, you know, just simply putting hearing aids on a baby is such a stressor and all the appointments. And I had my husband was in the Marine Corps. Well, he now just retired, but so he was not around a lot to, it was all me mostly. So doing it mostly alone as a new mother, like you just described, you're so tired. You have all the other, you know, my friends that were new parents as well were worrying about, you know, a sniffle or a sucking or a, whether to use a burpee or not, or bumpers in the crib or not. And, you know, I'm sitting here thinking I'm wiring my child's brain to learn to develop speech and language starting at three months old with these little hearing devices. So that's not the answer to the question. But the long story short is the quicker you allow yourself to just go through those feelings and share them with someone, you can't go around it. You have to go through it. And it does not make you a bad parent. That's what I think we're worried about. And as military spouses, Mm -hmm. particularly, we're just expected to suck it up so much. You knew what you were getting into, you know. But did you really know what you were getting? Well, it's hilarious when people say that. It's like, really? You you know, do you really know until you experience it, you know? Yeah, that was a question. That's a whole different podcast, but being a military spouse and like do other spouses get told that Mm -hmm. you know that you knew what you were getting into what do you mean you know it's it's just a lack of empathy and understanding 
And so I think for the people around you, most people mean well. I really do believe that. I've decided to believe that. But they don't know what to say. And yes. we had some family members, I think now looking back in retrospect, they had a hard time accepting it. Mm -hmm. So they would say things that minimized it because they couldn't accept what, what was yeah. happening. So, you know, in just know that people are going to flub up and, you know, say and do things that may sometimes be hurtful, but communicating and being, you know, vulnerable and, and sharing how you feel, I think is going to end up being, you know, a win in the long run and not to carry it alone. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's really important. I mean, to that point, I, you know, have recently talked to parents who said, you know, they sought out therapy at the beginning to make sure that they were going through the grieving process and, you know, have someone help them go through that so that they could show up the best that they could for their kid. And I also went through therapy, but just like last year. <laughs> so it was like six years in because I did kind of that too. I just kind of like muscled through, which is also my personality, you know, just, and, and there's so much going on because my children also, like we had to have like physical therapy for them. We had to have like occupational therapy at different times at different times. Now my kids like still get that. And so it's like, Parents who have typical kids aren't, you know, having to like do physical therapy every week and have those goals and speech therapy goals and all of the goals. And, you know, I think I just got into, you know, myself just like doing the next thing because there are so many things to do. And then you're talking about now I have to keep the hearing aids on, which spoiler alert, I was, I didn't, <laughs> I was really bad. I know, but I, I am also pretty bad at like dissenting from <laughs> medical advice. A lot of times my husband, who is a nurse practitioner, uh, gets upset with me, but I couldn't, I couldn't keep them on the cochlear implants. Once we got those, because we knew that cochlear implants were the next step um, for my kids hearing loss. And we knew that the hearing aids were mostly just for insurance purposes and probably weren't really going to help them. Um, and it was like impossible to keep this on like a baby who's like rolling around, you know, and then I had this, you know, like you said, the second child who had it. And so just when we think they are two years apart, two and a half years apart. So just when we thought, you know, we're, we're like getting used to the implants We're past the surgery. We're getting into a groove with like therapy and stuff. We had another one and it, it's like the process all over again. For me, the second one was easier because I already knew what to do and I already expected it. So I just, and we were already connected. So I was just like, okay, the second one, he's got this, we need this, this, this. And he got everything faster because we knew what to do. But for my husband, was actually harder to accept the second one because he felt like that we had just like gone through this. And now he's like, now we have to like start over with the process again and put like another kid through surgery. And I'm interested to know what was, you know, what was your perspective when you, you know, had your first one with the hearing loss and then you had a second one with hearing loss. How did you which side were you on? Were you on Elaine's side? Where it's like, yeah, we've done this before. We can do this again. Or Elaine's husband, who's like, oh, we've got to do this again. <laughs> I think I was both. Mm -hmm. so we found out because of the syndrome that they have, we knew there'd be a 25% chance of a sibling also having the syndrome. Pendred syndrome is what my kids have. Okay. Yep. So 
we were just going to wait and find out when she was born because we had that belief, you know, we can handle it. We, we know what to expect. And so we kind of were cavalier about like, we'll just wait. And then literally the week my son was, we were prepping for cochlear implant surgery on our baby firstborn, we found out the quad screening came back for my daughter that she had a high probability for down syndrome. So then I, I'm, you know, pregnant, preparing for a surgery with the baby. And I said, you know what, we need to find out, we need to find out what we're dealing with here. I just need to know so I can wrap my mind around. So we did the amnio, which then came back Mm -hmm. um, that she did not have down syndrome. And then they could do that genetic testing to find out the other. So that took about six weeks or maybe. So, you know, by then we'd gone through a surgery and we're dealing with, you know, all the stuff you deal with, with a new cochlear implant with our baby. And then we got the call. I got the call. And it's so ironic because I was driving back from auditory verbal therapy with my toddler. Well, yeah, I guess 14 months. He was maybe 15 months at this time. I guess that's a toddler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And got the call from the geneticist. And so when I heard she wanted me to come in for an appointment. And I said, just tell me I pulled over and I said, just tell me. And then she told me, and I don't really remember what came after, but I was shocked at the overwhelming sense of grief. I felt Hmm. I was, I thought I was prepared. And you know, again, I, we were, I think cavalier about it because we thought, you know, and that's what everybody told us. Well, at least you know what to do. And which was true. So there were, but well, I was thankful in the long run that we had that amnio to find out. So I was prepared. I got to experience all those feelings. So by the time she was born, I was ready. You know, I didn't have to have go through birth and then have a newborn and then go through the testing and finding out. So mm-hmm. we had yeah. all the connections. So yeah, having a great audiologist and you know, having all the team in place, definitely. And like knowing the language and knowing what it all meant definitely helped, but it also was, we knew what it all meant and it was hard. So I knew how hard it was because I'd already just gone through it all. So it was both. And now I can say for all the people who have siblings as having a 18 and 17 year old. I mean, this realization came probably when they were in elementary school, I would not change it. Like the connection these kids have, I mean, they're close in age. Mm -hmm. So that's partly it. And they're military kids. So maybe that's partly it, but they literally have their own language with each other. They have someone in their family, in their home that completely gets it. And as much Mm -hmm. as I try, and as much as my husband tries and our extended family tries, we will never truly understand, you know, we are not deaf and hard of hearing. So they have someone who completely gets it. And, you know, we always say if we had had the third, like you, maybe that would have been the poor hearing child, (laughs) you know, and had I not been in such a fog and been married to someone in the military who deployed so much, you know, mm-hmm. I probably would have had that third. I'm, I come from a family of three, three kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just something special about the three kids. 
but yeah, I was kind of done at that point with back to back. But yeah, we always joke that that kid was probably going to be the poor hearing child. <laughs> yeah. Something else yeah, you I'm... said, I wanted to loop mm-hmm. back on not being able to keep the hearing aids on. For This is probably one of the biggest things, not one of the biggest, but it's, it's up there with the, the questions I get is how, how do you keep them on? And people, yes. <clears throat> and people beating parents, beating themselves up over it. And all Great. I can say is you just have to do the best you can. You try to just be consistent, take t- allow timeouts, you know, allow, you know, breaks, but just, you know, for our, for our son, at least the theory was, you know, you wanted to keep the hearing aids on as long as you could to just keep that nerve stimulated because again, yeah. his hearing was severe to profound. So hearing aids would not have really been probably long-term done much for him but it was just a mindset of just trying to be consistent and so I know that the all waking hours is still out there and I know from a medical point of view it is important the more the more the kids receive access to that sound the better the outcome so you know that however you cannot beat yourself up over it's a really challenging thing to try to do. And I don't want one parent to feel that they failed if they cannot keep hearing aids on a baby all waking hours. Yes. And there's a whole lot of other philosophies about autonomy and this and that and the other. But when you have a baby, we're not discussing things like they have their their choices over their whether to wear wear their devices or not mm-hmm. when they're literally 9 months old. Right. We're not quite in that phase of life. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> so, I, yeah. I think the all waking hours is something and I understand why it's a goal and I do understand why right. it's to you know make it clear that it is very important but the flip side is we are humans. And these babies are humans. They're not robots. So right. you just do the best you can. Period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Period. No, and that, that is helpful. And I think us moms, it's like, we always take, and maybe you know why we do this. I know why we do this. Everything that like doesn't work out, we think that we're failing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and I did hear, you know, a parent who was trying to keep their implants on their child is like young and moving their head around and she was like I feel like I'm failing because I can't keep them on and I was I answered back and I was like you're not failing it's hard because her child was like less than one or like one you know right at one I was like it is hard but like now my boys at like seven and five keep them on now and now they ask for them to be on because they want to hear um but now after school they do take them off they do need a break, especially my five-year-old. He has a small cochlear nerve, and so he is still hard of hearing. He still does not hear everything, even with his cochlears. Um, so he also does sign language, which we are continuing to learn at home. And so hearing for him is like even extra hard, right? It's even more work. So he spends, you know, a good couple of hours after school, after hearing all day with them off. And I'm okay with it, you know, and that like, that's what he needs to have a break. But I think what you said is so important is like, we're not failing because we can't like keep this on a baby. You just, you know, 
we're not failing because we're not like cutting the sandwiches into shapes. Like, you know, I mean, it's like, we're always comparing ourselves to other people as moms and saying like, we're failing because we're not doing this. We're failing. We're not doing that. And just like you said, we're regular people and we're raising regular people, you know, and you're not responsible for every single thing all the time. And so that, I think that is definitely a really important thing because I also hear that so much from parents and I, and I, I agree. It's definitely a good goal. I think, you know, depending on who like your audiologist is, sometimes audiologists and speech therapists like go by the data that they see collected on the computer and they're like, oh, you're not, you know, wearing this so much. And it's like, there's a lot of pressure coming from the medical professionals of like, keep them on, keep them on, keep them on. Of course, I just tell them I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah. And I just leave it at that. So I would love to know, you know, when you're talking about, you know, other family members, when your kids first had the hearing loss were like minimizing, you know, I've heard that a lot from people who say like, we're fine. But then like other people start getting involved, you know, or people when we're out, like make comments about stuff or, you know, family members will, you know, tell us things like maybe it'll get better. <laughs> Or, you know, comments like that that are not helpful and that are also not true. So yeah. how how did you talk to them? Because I know also I try to be graceful with those people because I also have an awareness that, like, these people are learning about hearing loss for the first time, too. And depending on who... Now, I, I will say, like, I live in, like, a pretty progressive area in North Carolina. And so every time someone has come up to me... They've just been interested in like what the cochlear implants do. And they think the technology is amazing. And I've always had like positive interactions with people. But I know that that's not necessarily the case everywhere else. But I try to remember that I have had like time to process and like learn about hearing loss. And, you know, I live with kids with hearing loss and that other people who are saying these things, like they're still learning and they haven't had like that time that I've had. Um, but when you're hearing it a lot from people is also like, this may be like the fifth person that has come up to me in the week. And so, you know, trying to have space for someone and, you know, say like someone is learning to being like, okay, I'm a parent. I'm trying to wrangle like these three kids, ages seven, five, and two and like the grocery store and they're all yelling and you're like asking me about their implants. And then, so it's like, it's not the time, you know what I mean? And you're like the fifth person who's asked me this, like in the month. And I'm like tired of talking about it. So how would you tell parents? Cause I know this is a question that comes up a lot with parents about how to navigate things that other people say and things that other, you know, extended family members say. Yeah, I can't, listening to you, I can't recall having people come up and say things that were off-putting or questioning or I don't really yeah. remember that as our experience that happening yeah, very so far, everyone has been yeah. positive for me I have heard some parents get questioned on like like from people who are regular hearing this is just like anecdotal like you know what I've heard from other parents I don't know where in the country they're from but people coming up like like trying to shame them because they're not using like sign language with their kids oh, yeah. now we're I feel very fortunate that we have not experienced that. So I think one thing is unique compared to having kids now 
We didn't have social media. Mm -hmm. There were not platforms of people on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram um, right. showing their experience. You know, now there's so many accounts with, you know, young kids. And so I think that made it a bit unique where I couldn't have someone comment on our choices because there was nowhere for them to comment, you know, in the, on the internet, we were pretty committed early on to be confident in our decisions based on the information we had. We were always willing to pivot mm -hmm. and not stay, you know, married to kind of the path we were on. But things have changed a lot in my son's life. How what, how the understanding about access to language has changed, you know, being bilingual and introducing sign language has changed. So if we had to do it over again, would it be different? Absolutely. I'm sure it would be because there's just so much more information and which is exciting. So, hey, if you're having kids now with hearing loss, be excited. There's so mm -hmm. much more information and mm -hmm. access to taking online sign language courses and online speech yes. therapy and all the things you can do that I mean we just didn't have it um to join even a you know I have my own Facebook support group I have for parents it's if you go to yeah. my fall on Facebook then I also have a group and there's lots mm -hmm. of them out there that are just for encouraging and support and you know to be able just to say you know, I'm struggling with this or what do you think about that? Or anyone, you know, you know, there was no pilot caps. There were no Etsy stores, just all the things yeah. that people have access to, mm -hmm. I think is just so amazing. And then also the flip side is that over information, I think yes, be too much over access to too many opinions and too much information. You can over research something. So I would caution people to, you want to get smart on things, but you also don't want to over um, inundate yourself with the opinions of everybody. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for us, our kids' outcomes have been, there's, I couldn't have hoped for better outcomes. In fact, you know, our son is got five, six, seven, eight, eleven college offers to play football at high academic school. Like we, Yay, have, that's so fun. That's so great. That was amazing. And it, and it really is. And I mean, we look at each other, we're like, we can't forget this. Mm -hmm. it, you know, we were worried, would he develop speech and language? And now he is in China, AP Chinese 4 and has going into senior year already has his college offers. It's like, how did this happen? So it worked for us. Every kid is different though. So I think that's mm -hmm. just, the comparison is the killer of joy. It, yeah. You really have to just know each kid is so unique and each family so unique. So you can't, what worked for you isn't going to work for me and vice versa. Like just be open to like really giving your kid what they need and tune out the noise. 
And all this to say, I don't really have anyone come at me for the choices we've made. I won't, I don't, I, I really won't let that in. Like my page, all my platforms, I don't allow shaming and judgment. I love to hear other people's experiences and stories. And you can share also your opinion and thoughts, but you can't come at anyone in that space to say what they've done is bad, wrong, you know? So I don't get a lot of it. Thank goodness. I, I just have created, I feel like as Courtney Kardashian would say, I've carefully <laughs> curated, but my daughter, my daughter always. Her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it has been very intentional, the tone. And so I think that's carried on into our life that we've never had anyone really question and probably because the kids have thrived mm -hmm. had they not we would have had to pivot for sure so family members the probably the only thing that was the most hurtful in the beginning with some extended family was just to minimize by saying oh he'll be fine he'll be fine he'll be fine he'll be fine and it was yeah. like minimizing that, yes, he will be fine. I know he will be fine no matter what. But this is hard. Mm -hmm. What we're in right now is hard. So just to say he'll be fine because you say it's not, does not make it true. And I think that was what I felt not validated or seen or heard. It really wasn't about the baby because he was fine. Yeah. So yeah. uh, I wish I had been more able to just say, you know what? You keep saying he's going to be fine. And I just want to tell you that's hurtful. Mm, I know he great. will be fine. We know he will be fine, but there is so much work that has to be done to ensure he will be fine, that you're minimizing that, that he's not growing out of this, you know, yeah. what, whatever. He's not going to mature out of this. <laughs> And then the flip side is all we're talking about, you and I are talking about right now, the grief, the acceptance, mm -hmm. the, the hearing aids, the cochlear implants, whether to sign, not sign, you know, there's that beautiful quote, all kids need is love and language and they will succeed. And there's all different ways to do that is we've never once thought our kids were broken and needed to mm -hmm. be fixed. And, and so sometimes you'll hear pushback with people saying, you know, that using hearing technology somehow saying that our, we think our kids are broken. I can tell you 100%. Yes. I thought they were whole from the the day they were growing in my belly. I did not think no matter what, they're perfectly imperfect humans. Mm -hmm. And I still believe that. And I would not change. I would not change who they are. It's just part of them. It's not who they are. It's just a part of them. Yeah. And as your kids get yeah. older, you'll see that more and more. You'll start to realize that, I mean, there's still lots of challenges. There are. There's still challenges associated with it. But those are just challenges. They're, they're designed exactly how they were supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. And, you know, even I tell <clears throat> parents to... Not maybe not judge is not the right word, but use your own child's data. 
So don't compare your child to like, you know, what this child is doing. This child is, you know, speaking, your child isn't yet. It's about where your child is and then taking them to the next level of where they are. Because just in our household with my two boys, you know, who have hearing loss, they have the same type of hearing loss, the same syndrome that caused this hearing loss. Um, And my seven-year-old hears very well and he uses spoken speech and like doesn't know sign language um, at all, but he prefers to speak. My five-year-old um, has a small cochlear nerve, can't hear well, and he signs and doesn't really communicate by speech. So even in my house, <laughs> I have two different communication modes and we're trying to all do sign language and my seven-year-old is doing it more. But once again, I am not, I, I believe it will develop. I'm not push, push, pushing. I'm just, you know, modeling, like, this is how we talk. And my two-year-old, you know, modeling for her, this is like how we talk to our brother. So all kids are different. And even in my house, I have two kids with cochlear implants that communicate and do stuff like completely in different ways. And, and I can't even compare them to each other, right? Because they're on different planes. So I, I always tell parents, and what you said is really valuable, like, go by your child's data. That's the only thing that you can go by and just help them get to the next step of where they are now. And don't worry about what any other kids, you know, a person's kid is doing and they'll all get there, which is hard for us, which is why I so value talking to parents like you who have older kids, because I'm still in the little stage, <laughs> you know, and we're still trying to figure out communication. They still, you know, my kids still don't talk on grade level yet, but I mean, they have great um, resources at school and they're doing great and they're improving, you know, but I, it's, I, we're still in it right? We're not at the end. We're still like right in the middle and at the beginning. And so it's really encouraging to me to hear from, you know, parents who have kids who are teenagers or preteens and like, yeah, it does get better. Yeah. They get, you know, involved in other things, (laughs) you know, and, and to hear that this isn't their whole identity, which we've never felt that about our children either. We've always felt like this is, you know, a part of them, but it's definitely not all of them for sure. And, and I agree that I think you see that more right now. It feels like it's all of them because we're so focused on language at the beginning, but I agree. And what it sounds like is as they get older, you realize they're a whole person. Of course they are. Like, you know, there's, there's so much more to people in general. It's not just whether they can hear or, you know, whether they have a disability or, you know, whatever there's people are complex. (laughs) Yes. You know? I, um, I would say yeah. for people to who have littles, remember they are whole people who aren't just about being deaf or hard of hearing. What are their other interests? Get them involved in 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 things that you know all typical kids are involved in. Find what try new things for to see what their interests are. And as much as all you have all the appointments and you know you're carrying all the stress of and worry about you know this that and the other for the kid this is not they don't see it you know it, they're more complex than just thinking this is all they are like yeah. the kids don't think that way they're not binary they don't mm-hmm. they don't think that way so the earlier you can just start to see them and your job as a parent is more than just this. You know that though. My parents know that, yeah. but just 
focus on the other things too, because it'll make parenting so much more joyful. Yeah. <laughs> because schlepping to appointments, this, that, and the others, that's, you know, it's not the most fun thing to do. Yeah. And then trying to like do the practice at home, but like they don't want to practice with you is like a whole other, they'll do stuff for other people that they won't do for mom. Yeah. I think a lot of the, time. the auditory verbal therapy that we did, I mean, I know that's evolved too, but it just became a parenting style. Mm-hmm. In fact, yes, I agree. A weird thing that we do in our house. It's weird. We're weird. I mean, we narrate life. It's not bad. I mean, we do too. I think, I think my two-year-old I think speaks on like a three-year-old level. She speaks, she definitely. And I think it's because I talk to her in the same way that I talk to my boys, because that's just know how, how I know how to talk to kids. (laughs) Yes. Oh, she, watch. She's going to be so advanced because I don't think I would have narrated life had my baby not been born deaf and hard Mm -hmm. hearing. I don't think I would have been through walking through the grocery store saying, oh, it's corn, corn is yellow, the sun, you know, and then having this. He's trying to get corn, corn in like five times. Yeah. And then him babbling back and going, yes, you see the corn. And, you know, I'm yeah. like, what? no, we would, I don't think I would have done that. But it, yes. and then there was another stage that we realized you can over narrate life as well. Kids need time to just sit and play and be quiet. You don't need yeah, to be narrating point. their play, sitting with them. I was on the floor for, gosh, the first like eight years, like on the floor playing. We played a lot of games. We did a lot like Play-Doh. I mean, we did, we was like yeah. just, it, it was like Camp Gideon's. And, and then I realized, oh, they were creating monsters. <laughs> They, oh, no. they're allowed to sit and just play independently and be quiet and be quiet they don't need the, you know so I had to kind of relook at that at a certain point I don't remember when it was I was like oh right they don't need their whole life narrated 24 7 either so I was learning too yeah I messed up I'm sure plenty of times and then we got into being very physical sports and doing you know they my cul-de-sac we lived on called to Camp Gideon's because we were always out there playing some new sport and I was like the camp counselor on on the street and, um, that's so fun though yeah it was a whole different you know language dynamic and then the other mm-hmm. thing I was gonna follow up on too when you said how kids are so different and your kids are so different and something I was remembering when my kids were in a deaf and hard of hearing preschool program and at one point because they're so close in age they were there together and my daughter became fluent in sign language and my son not a word. I mean, not a sign. Had no interest. Not mm-hmm. she just picked it up so quickly. That sounds and, like mine. Yeah. Same kids, same syndrome, both devices, same family, like home experience, same teacher, same classroom. And one's coming home and learned sign language, and one would not know if you were signing right in front of his face. He would. So very mm-hmm. different learners. Very different experience which is yeah which makes sense they're not the same all people are not the same just because you have a hearing loss mm-hmm. but remember that your siblings yeah, yeah remember that too and if you have siblings or mm-hmm. you're comparing to another kid in the preschool or in the classroom or wherever that people learn differently and per- people are just they're different yeah 
Yeah. And I love that. And I wanted to follow up because um, I know you guys are into sports, which I love. And I know you do. And I hear all the time people like always wondering about sports, mostly how to keep the cochlears on the heads. But what I'm interested in is did you so I I we've just, you know, started getting into the extracurricular activities. We don't do too much yet. So far, we've done swim lessons, but they've been private lessons because I found that the group lessons, you know, just aren't great for hearing for my kids. And so we've done private lessons as I've worked a lot better because they could be a lot closer um, and use sign language and stuff. I have tried one of my kids or two of my kids in just like really just like soccer and I did not have a good experience. I'm I'm having a really hard time with coaches or other people outside of school just not understanding that like my kids can't hear as well and understanding hearing loss. It's like it's easier in school. I mean, I know IEPs are a whole thing and such, but you know, schools, teachers are at least kind of set up for like understanding, learning. And I had, I mean, we just like last week tried to do, you know, soccer and I'm, you know, like obviously right there with my kids. I'm, they're not the age that I leave them yet. You know, and all the kids were like lined up for soccer. And first of all, my kid, you know, they're like further away. So I'm like, oh, great. I should have brought the microphone for the coach to wear because they're further away. So I know that at least my five-year-old can't hear very well. So I'm trying to like sign to him down the field my kids don't really like understand what to do or don't really understand what's going on. They're just trying to follow the other kids and they're doing their best. And I'm sitting here on the sideline trying to help them. And then they like lose their balls. And I had to go like the coach just had, didn't help them, like was oblivious to the fact that like they, neither of them had a soccer ball and they were like the only kids. And, you know, one time I went up to the coach and was like, hey, can my five-year-old have the soccer ball that you're using? Because he had a little soccer ball. And there were no more little ones. Like, they didn't have enough balls for everybody. And I gave the coach the bigger ball. and was like, hey, do you mind if we switch? Because he doesn't have a ball. He needs a little one. This big one is too big for him. He's little. And then the second time, my seven-year-old, like, lost his ball somewhere and was just, like, sitting, like, by the fence on the grass, like, picking grass because he couldn't play. And so I, you know, had to pick up my two-year-old. And by that point, my five-year-old had quit playing, which is fine. And so I was like grabbing him so he didn't like run out of the field and like trudging everybody like across the field in the middle of practice with all of the parents to go get a ball for my seven-year-old. And I said, here, honey, here's your ball, go play. But it's just like, so far... We have not had a good experience with coaches. And, and I went early. I explained to the, tried to explain to the coach about the hearing loss that they couldn't hear. And it just like, he definitely didn't even pay attention to my kids. And I'm also the only parent always that is having to do extra stuff at this events with my kids, you know, and I will even admit that like a lot of times, especially in that moment, because I was stressed out, I get really resentful. I don't hold on to it of other parents who just get to sit and watch their kids play soccer. And their kids understand and they're, you know, doing the ball. They can, you know, follow directions and the parents just get to sit there and talk, you know, and they don't have to explain anything different or, you know, understand. And I'm the one running up and down the field, the entire practice, going in and out of the field, having to get the balls. And I even saw my seven-year-old and five-year-old both go up to the coach at one point and try to explain to him that they didn't have a ball 
um, but their language is behind. And he kind of acknowledged them, but like not really. And once again, they, for that age, they should have two coaches. I think they only had one and they needed two, but we just had a really bad experience. <laughs> so how did you navigate this? And maybe you had better experiences than I did, because obviously your son is getting football scholarships and you did great. But so far, we've had a rough time starting uh, extracurricular activities has not been successful. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was your experience. Um, sorry. <laughs> over the years, the kids started in organized sports, probably when they were kindergarten, mm-hmm. maybe even before, like at the YMCA, some just, you know, rec- recreational type. We've had experiences that were probably great amazing and we've had some that were probably in the category that you're describing so here's what I will tell parents do not give up try again different different coach different sport different season different kit your kid will be different just to keep exposing them to different activities because you're gonna you know when your coach is not set up for success by not having an assistant, my best friend has a child similar to your child's age and he does not have hearing loss and she's had to grab him when he's running off the field and running the different direction and picking daisies and the coaches, you know, it's hurting cats at that age. Yeah. Here's what I will tell you that we ended up doing because of these experiences, because I want both my husband and I are competitive athletes. And it was something we were really hoping that our kids would gravitate towards some sport, no matter what it was something. And so we wanted these experiences to be positive, because that's when they're going to want to try something else. Mm-hmm. We created a coach's guide. It's on my website. It's what I Fantastic. want my coach to know about hearing loss. Uh, it's my kids helped me create it. There's a place to personalize it. So what we would do, we came up with a formula. We would reach out to the coach before the season, ask to schedule a meeting. So we're not catching them at practice or because it's too chaotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they needed to be sitting across like, a it needed to be sitting at a picnic bench, just the three of us, rather than catching them when it's kind of transitional where they could just focus and we had, we would email them the guide ahead of time so they could read it. And it explained what the nuances of hearing loss were with either cochlear implant or hearing aid and then strategies they could help implement to help our kid. Because people don't know what they don't know. And if you're just trying to kind of explain it to them in the, you know, coaching is so I know because my husband, coached youth sports and now he's a high school football he helps on the high school football level so hard Mm -hmm. they're trying to juggle so much and even though a lot of those kids on that team may look like just typical kids they're probably dealing with some other kids that also have maybe learning challenges or some other thing too so it's all about setting the coach up for success because all my experience I think hands down, we've never had a coach that didn't want to help. Okay. I mean, we've, I can't think of one that wasn't open to wanting to help. They've just may not have be equipped, but not having an assistant 
you know, I wonder if there's a parent volunteer that could help. Yeah. You know, or to yeah. Help I think herd the that cat. was a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's, my husband coached that age. He's like, it was herding cats. It re- literally is. So yeah. I highly recommend we still, so my, my son's a senior in high school. So he's played on this football team for, this is his fourth year. We still send out the coach's guide to okay. all the coaches and they've come up with strategies. They, they are figuring it out, but like you say, like you wish, like how lucky those parents are that they can just sit and chit chat and sit and watch even sitting up in the high school stands, watching my son, who's the captain on the team, most tackles on the team. I see his magnet. I can tell when it's come off underneath his helmet and I see him, you know, working to get it back on. And I, mm-hmm. I sit there and I think he's experienced more stress on that field than, than probably any kid. And nobody even knows it. You know, yeah. like the level of stress that must be in between mm-hmm. plays, in between tackles. Like, so I, just so you know, I still feel like that way watching him play. Like, okay. <laughs> I could just, you know, well, football is very difficult game to watch as a mother. Anyways, it's not made. I couldn't imagine. No, yeah. Terrible. I, I don't know how you've done it for this. I don't I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I don't. I say to, I say to the people around me, I hate football. I hate the sport. Yeah. I can't, I'm not, I cannot handle this. Like I, I cannot handle it. And I love watching him play and he's so amazing and he's adapted. Yeah. He didn't mm-hmm. always, he wasn't always the captain of a team. And there were times he wanted to quit in all sports that he's played. There were times my kids, we had to talk him off the ledge mm-hmm. on, and my daughter would be very mad if I didn't also mention she's a competitive basketball player, got <laughs> CIS yes. player of the year as a sophomore. That's fantastic for her division. She won the player of the year. I mean, she's amazing. A little spitfire. So she would be mad if she's like, all you did was talk about battle. But <laughs> Your brother. <laughs> She's adapted to, she's, I think it translates to why she picked up sign language so easily. She's very visual and she's more aware of nuances around her. And Mm -hmm. so she has not struggled with communication in sports nearly the way he did early on. Yeah, it's, his anxiety was way higher than hers, but she, maybe she's more of a natural athlete too. So things came easier. So again, two kids, same, mm-hmm. same, you know, and yeah. just experienced sports very differently, but outcomes are still, I would say, you know, it's been a success and worth whether you're going to go on to play college or not, you know, just participating in sport. And maybe it's not sports. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, you know, drama or the chess club or gaming my nephew does rubik's cube champion tournaments i mean whatever it is i think it's just you got to try all the things and it's going to be painful sometimes when you know your kid's struggling it it's going to be yeah it's but you just have to keep and this doesn't i'm not a proponent of the over scheduling and that's why i said we played a lot of sports just out in the front yard we threw mm-hmm. the ball like mom and dad can play catch with the kid. They don't have to sign up for little league. We can kick a ball. They don't have to play soccer. Like 
I taught him to swim, taught him to surf, taught him, you know, you, it doesn't have to be organized, but you also want to expose them to as much as you can, because that's how they're going to find their people. Yeah. No, I love, I love that. Thank you so much. We'll definitely link to the coaches, um, what to tell your coach in the show notes and I'm going to use it. Um, so that we can figure that out better for our kids, but yeah. And I love what you're saying that, you know, they can find what they're good at and it doesn't have to be organized either that you can teach them as the parents, you know, we're capable of helping and teaching our kids. It doesn't always have to be everyone else. You guys are looking towards college. How do you feel about that? What are you looking for? I know our time is running low and I want to respect your time, but I know parents will ask because I feel like a lot of parents get a lot of support when their kids are young. And then as their kids get to be teenagers, the support kind of goes away, but you still need support. I think a a lot of, you know, people and a lot of the support out there is like, okay, by the time you're teenagers, you like know what you're doing or something. (laughs) So what are you guys, I know parents will ask, what are you guys looking for when you're looking towards college for your son? We were actually just at a senior college night at our school last night. We go, we're very lucky we go to a school that has a college counseling team. I mean, it's been so painless. Walk through the kids are all on timelines walking through the um, application process. But I think I can't speak to the general population because having an athlete that's being recruited is a very different experience. I, He's, I can't say he's lucky because he's worked super hard academically and athletically to get these opportunities, but of course changes it's he's having, he has a lot of choice, which is, you know, again, I could start crying. Like he's Mm -hmm. his hardest thing is going to be choosing because people there's, you know, some very desirable places that he, that want him. So you want to be wanted we will then when we're when we're drilling down on making the final decision it's down to five we will be talking extensively with what services they offer and how they view disabilities at their college so that will probably push it over the edge but i will write about it and share about it when we get to that next step for so we're not there yet so i know you know, there's a whole different process for people who are going through the traditional application. It's all about timelines. And my kids both chose are deciding that a smaller college is more appealing to them, not going to like a big 10 or D one right now. So smaller class sizes, more personal, and that's been their high school experience as well. But that doesn't mean they couldn't go on to a giant school if they wanted, but that would probably, you know, come with different challenges and we'd be probably dealing with something different. So I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we'll that let us know. <laughs> and I will say, That's okay. uh, I'm, I'm so excited for him. I'm just in the excitement. I'm not in the, oh, I can't believe he's going to be like, I'm not feeling sad or, or I'm so excited for him. He's ready. He is ready yeah. to watch. Like, I feel like he's going to be completely, not completely. So there'll be a whole other set of things, how we're going to transition to him managing his devices. And this year is a big year for that. 
Mm -hmm. and more responsible for more of the stuff that I've kind of just taken on. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I need to have you back for round two about like advocacy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For for kids and helping them do that. Cause that's a whole other like episode. So I think there's going to be a round two in the mix here. Yeah. (laughs) We have a lot of episodes within this episode. I mean, it's just, there's a lot. In 18 years, there's a lot. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) It's a whole lifetime. Yes. So absolutely. Yeah. No, we are, we'll be excited to hear about everything that you're encountering as you send someone off to college. And the real question is, how are you going to handle watching him play college ball? Right. I got assigned by my editor that I, a group I write for to write about Mm -hmm. the Friday night lights experience senior. But I said, my experience is a little different because it's not, he's not going to be putting his cleats away. Right. Like I, that feeling would be, I think, very different. Like if my daughter wasn't going to play college and bas- basketball in college and she's putting her basketball away, I'm going to, yeah. I would have a lot of feelings about that, but she wants to play in college right now too. So it's like, Fantastic. Yeah. this is not ending possibly. Yeah. So it's just more exciting. It's just exciting. But I think when you feel like you, you know, your kids are prepared and ready to launch, just focus on how exciting this time is versus how sad you know it's not an empty nest it's an evolved nest is what they say oh oh I love looking at it that way says the one who's still gonna have kids at home forever right oh you think (laughs) it's forever I mean you think I know I I, it's it's insane how fast it goes it really I mean it's so cliche but it's real I know. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming and talking to us and talking to the parents. You said so much helpful stuff today and so much encouragement for parents. I really appreciate it. If there is one thing or can be two things that you can leave parents with any tip encouragement, what do you think that would be? Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I want every new parent to buy my book through the fog. Mm -hmm. Because everything we've just talked about, I write about every, I see in all the chat groups, questions and and concerns people have. I'm like, oh, I wrote about that. Oh, I wish I could give them my book. I really, it's, it's, I'm not trying, it's not about just trying to sell books, which, you know, it would, is nice when you're a self-published author, but I just want parents to know it's going to be okay. It is, it's going to be hard. For sure. It's both. It's both amazing and hard. I think that's just parenting in general. I mean, it is a lot of responsibility raising humans. And we mm-hmm. all think we're messing it up. We all think we're messing. I think I'm messing it up every day. So you just try to do the best you can. And that's what I would, that's a message I would like to leave people with. And then I would love for people to join my online communities, my battle call on Instagram and on Facebook, because it really is a supportive community. And I think we all need community and I don't presume to know it all, or I certainly don't tell you what to do or that you should do it this way at all, but we're just definitely stronger, I think, together and in community. We need it. So yeah, and I'm happy for anyone to ever reach out in my messages, just like you did about the show, you know, <laughs> and congratulations yes. on the show. I think it's, it's really important for us to be sharing our stories and there's no one way 
you know, there's lots of beautiful ways and just, yeah, connect. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And that is definitely what we're trying to show on this podcast is lots of different stories and there's lots of different ways to raise kids <laughs> period. and to raise deaf kids. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Pretty much. Thank you so much. We'll definitely link to your book and the coaches and everything that we can of you in the show notes, absolutely for people to get to. And we thank you so much for being on and taking your time to do this today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Me too. Oh my gosh, you guys, did you not just love that conversation with Valley? I just had so much fun talking to her and she had so many great things to say. Like I said in the intro, she really has a heart for helping other parents, coaching other parents and just giving them support and it really shows. And I wanted to give a few of my takeaways from this episode. So takeaway number one, grief and acceptance is part of the journey that's been on almost every single podcast episode that we have had, and it is a very normal part of learning about a diagnosis for the first time. Number two, it's important to find a community of other parents who understand what you are going through. Number three, other people might say some things that seem like they're minimizing the diagnosis of your child or may even seem downright uneducated. And I want to just stop us for a minute and say, even though it may be hurtful at the time, remember that many people have not had the opportunity that you have to accept your child's diagnosis and have not had the educa education that you have probably had or done the research around a hearing loss diagnosis. So give them grace, communicate with them your frustrations and why it was hurtful, and then maybe educate them on you know different ways that they can approach hearing loss in your child. Number four, comparison is the killer of joy. Big one, we talked about this pretty extensively. You can't compare your child to other children and what they're doing. You can't even compare siblings to each other. My two boys are very, very different. You know, if you get into the comparison game, it's going to be like compare and despair. Okay, compare and then you despair about why your kids aren't this or that or why you aren't this or that as a mom. Forget all of it. You are doing a great job and do not compare your situation to other family situations because every family is different and every kid is different. Next one, your kids are whole and perfect the way they were made. Next one is get kids involved in activity. They can do sports. They can do all sorts of fun activities. Just get them involved in whatever your family likes to do and just see what, you know, your kids like to do and what they gravitate towards. And the last one, for those of you parents whose kids are in high school or even middle school, and are going to be leaving the nest soon. I love the way that Valley puts this, that it's not an empty nest, it's an evolved nest. You are going to see them again, even though they aren't in your home, but they are going off onto such grand, amazing adventures. All right, that's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you're loving this podcast, make sure you subscribe to it so that you don't miss a single episode. We have so many more really good interviews coming up that I don't want you to miss. So hit that subscribe button. If there is someone in your life who could use this message today, which really, if 
we're all raising deaf kids who couldn't hear this message and who wouldn't need this message. So if you could share this episode with a friend who really needs to hear it, if you're feeling fancy, you can take a screenshot of this episode and send it over to your friend so that more people can find the podcast and get this information. If you're feeling generous today, you could rate the podcast and review it. That just helps push us up a little bit into the podcast algorithm and helps other parents find the podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you.